The Athletic. football show today champions league man city unreal wednesday at the etihad we look back on the pepper puffiosis the pepstasy as silver bullets finally kill off a rail and ahead to a man city versus inter final two sides who've never played each other in a competitive game before and probably won't this time either meantime speaking of better Ivan Tony Band. We discuss a ruling that provokes a lot of serious questions in the football industry, like what does it do to your in-play this weekend and where's the best place you can lay Brentford against Spurs now? It's the Totally Football Show. Woohoo! Listener, so glad to be with you on what looks like for us Thursday the 18th of May. Sitting across from me in the luxuriously appointed Totally Studio is Duncan Alexander. Hello, Duncan. Hello, James. And uh, yeah, we've got uh, all the space in the world here. We can stretch out. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. Because our other guests are on the big Zoom. Hello, Carl Anker in Manchester. Hi, James. Hi, Carl. You sound curiously downbeat this morning. Perhaps we'll get into why uh, later on. And also Rory Smith. Hello. Hello. Rory, you're just uh, you're fresh back from a tour of football's loudest grounds. I said you're just back from a tour of football's <laughs> loudest grounds. Well, just one of them, the San Siro a week ago, but I've recovered from that. Oh, I thought I, th- I thought you, you were at the Etihad on Wednesday night. I was at the Etihad, but that would not enter my my. It was very loud, but it wasn't a patch on. This is going to get me accused of being biased against Man City. It wasn't as loud as the San Siro. Not as loud as the San Siro. There you go. But it was loud, though, wasn't it? Much louder than. It was a brilliant atmosphere. It was a, it was a really, really good atmosphere. I mean, the, the, you're comparing it with kind of one of the truly epic nights of European football um, in terms of spectacle at, at the San Siro over the last couple of weeks. But yeah, it was really loud. It was boisterous. It felt a little bit wild and edgy at times. There was a real kind of sense of ecstasy in the air. I think ap- apothe- ap- I can't say it. I think apotheosis is probably the right word. It felt like... Possibly the statement performance of the Guardiola era at Manchester City. Mm. Crazy to think that about 24 hours before, we, we would have been having this chat going, well, yeah, but Real Madrid, you know. <laughs> I fancy Real Madrid to go through because, you know, cup team. They still might. They still <laughs> can't rule them out. You can't rule out Real Madrid. De Bruyne, Gundogan, Foden. And here's Alvarez! That's how to round off one of the great nights in the history of your football club. What was the difference between Wednesday night and the previous week? Uh, the aggression of the press from Pep Guardiola. So last week, the press was rather symmetrical, whereas this week it was a lot more aggressive on the left-hand side. So Jack Grealish was jumping on Edmund Militao, whereas Akanji was just get up into Carvajal's face as well. That meant there was far stronger in the counter-press, so there were very few points in time where Real Madrid had sustained possession in the first half. I think after 15 minutes, Real Madrid had 14 passes. And then at the 35-minute mark, it was something like 40, whereas City were in the triple figures by then. Uh, and then also, I think Pep de- definitely did his homework on uh, isolating Camavinga. Tony Cruz is not as mobile as he used to be. And even when he used to be, Bayern Munich people said he was like a, a farm tractor, I believe was the insult. So Camavinga was often left stranded in no man's land as Bernardo Silva just kept cutting inside. Magnificent. Bernardo Silva outstanding in his field. Uh, Borrow your tractor mood. 
motif and, and doing the damage with those goals. And in the first 20 minutes, was it 21 minutes when they went 2-1 up? I mean, the numbers were extraordinary. 72% possession in the opening 45. In the opening 22 minutes, 81% possession. Uh, 196 passes to Madrid's 30 at the time of the first goal. Ruben Diaz was the only Man City outfielder not to have a shot a goal in the first half. Real Madrid, by contrast, with an XG at halftime of Duncan? 0.01, I believe. Right. Not great. That was Tony Cruz hitting the crossbar, was it? Yeah. Which I, I feel that's more than 0.01. Well, it was from a long way out. Yeah. And it, it was a shot <laughs> off target, as we saw. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, Madrid didn't complete a passing opposition half till the 24th minute. Oof. It, was, mm. it was one of the most concentrated, brilliant displays of football I've, I've ever seen. I think. I think it reminded me a little bit of the 2011 Champions League final where you kind of knew it could happen, that this team could click like this, and then, then it actually did, and you're like, whoa. This was Barcelona against Man United. Yeah, Just also managed by a certain Josep Guardiola. So, um, yeah, it, it, you know, Guardiola has we all know, gets uh, accused of tinkering and overthinking sometimes. But occasionally, when the entire machine clicks, you get a performance that's that's kind of one for the ages. I think that, that particularly the first half, will will go down. I mean, part of me thinks he almost wanted to draw the first leg to set this up. Like, it's almost like if they'd have won 2-0 in the... In the first leg, it would have there'd have been less riding on the the sheer brilliance of this. I mean, City haven't won away in the Champions League since match day one at Sevilla, so they've they've kind of gone back to this sort of 1970s style. We'll draw away in continental Europe and then and then smash them at home. And then they've obviously won seven nil, three nil, and now four nil at home in the knockout stages. So, which does I, I suppose throw up a few question marks about the final being on a neutral ground. So. Well, I wonder. I mean, Inter, who'd celebrated wildly Tuesday night after booking their spot in Istanbul, if that's where the final's to be held, uh, and what they would have thought when they sat down and watched Wednesday's performance by their opponents, I do not know. Rory, you were there. I, I mean, there, mm. there must have been some nerves in the crowd before, before the, 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 the kickoff. What, what was it like in that first half? It was, it was very noisy in the build-up. I think there was a lot of kind of anticipation there was there was a lot of expectation it didn't feel especially nervous to me I saw a couple of mates who were City fans um before the game and they were as fans should be doing saying oh you know I think he'll go to penalties and not not sure we can win it's Real Madrid um the only kind of time there was nervousness was in that spell just before City's second goal because although the XG was was low just before the cross chance there was Rodrigo put Vinicius through and Carl Walker had to kind of turn on the afterburners to catch him. And then I think about two minutes later, Rodrigo curved the ball through for Benzema that Benzema would have reached three years ago, but can't because he's 35. Um, and it just felt a bit like, OK, Real are starting to assert themselves. And then again, before City scored the third, actually, Real, had, they, they didn't really threaten, but they, they had the ball. They, they had control of the game for 10 minutes or so, which is fine because it's Real Madrid. They're quite good at football. And you could just sense that the city, the city fans were just starting to think, all right, this maybe isn't done yet. And City scored at the perfect time to kind of quell both little spells of anxiety. And after that, it was pure, pure and simple euphoria. The fourth put the cap on it. Um, it felt to me a lot like City were trying to to prove a point that 
that obviously Guardiola spoke in the in in the press conference afterwards about feeling that they, the players had, had 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 a year of swallowing the poison from from the defeat in the semi final last season, but it felt a little bit beyond that. Even it, it felt like this was them getting rid of of Tottenham and Liverpool and Monaco and Leon and the final against Chelsea. This was Manchester City kind of saying, right, all of that now we that that has all gone. We are over it. It was their kind of catharsis for everything they've been through in the Champions League and to produce yeah what what I think has to be one of the most given the the opponent, given the states, given the the stage of the competition, that is one of the most dominant performances I think you could ever hope to see up there with 2011, as as Duncan says. And it felt like something changed a little bit that that was City kind of asserting themselves in the Champions League, saying, "Okay, this is this is now our competition. We are the the, the primary force in European football," which they have they should have been before, to be honest. Uh, but they found a way to lose. That that looked like a real a real statement. It was the joint heaviest defeat for Real Madrid in their Champions League history. Colin Miller pointing out that it's not just that Man City have beaten Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea and Arsenal this season, but they've beaten all of them by three or more goals. Extraordinary. As Colin says, these games are largely non-events, often ludicrously lopsided, non-competitive and entirely drama-free. I mean, the first half was a magnificent spectacle. Uh, Rory, I think you, you want to come back on that. Yeah, I think I think that is something we have to confront. The first half they were they were brilliant, and and that exists. That that is a thing that is real. But you can't separate it from from the context in which it's been achieved. Both the fact that this is a club with unlimited resources, and the answer to that from City fans is always, well, Man United have spent money too, and Chelsea have spent more money than everybody else as well, and that's true. But Manchester City are the only club in the world that has never, as th- thus far, lost a player when they don't want to. You know, we talk about how. Guardiola's been able to plan everything meticulously and that's true he has and the club has built has built everything for him to his specification and that's all true and well done great great that you've used your money so well no one's quibbling about that but everybody else has to adapt you know Man United lose players sometimes Cristiano Ronaldo decides he wants to leave Manchester United for for Real Madrid sometimes he decides he wants to leave Real Madrid sometimes even Chelsea to an extent now have lost players against their wishes Liverpool certainly Arsenal certainly, Barcelona have to sell players to keep up with the the state-backed clubs. Man City are in a basically unique position where they get to do what they want and nothing comes along to force them off the path. That is the privilege that comes with, with their, other than PSG, unique set of circumstances. I don't think we can disregard that. That is relevant to how all of this has happened. All of the greatness that you see on the pitch comes back to that. And then, of course, there is the issue of the 115 Premier League charges, which, although it's not directly related to the Champions League, obviously, they've, they've kind of cleared that case. Well, they, they, they weren't acquitted. Found, they, were, they, weren't acquit- yeah. they were not acquitted. They were, they were not found guilty, which right. is not the same as being found not guilty. But if, if those charges stick, then that does place an asterisk next to everything that City have done. No right. question. I, mean, I think ethically, and I totally get why so many people brought this up after witnessing the performance on Wednesday night, but we have to wait to see what the verdict is from this independent panel, even though, and mm. this is really frustrating, particularly in a week which has seen Ivan Tony hit with a, a swinging penalty in a, what seems like a much shorter time frame. I think, you know, do we not have to wait for the independent panel to come back on this and, and 
when is that likely to be? A couple, is it a couple of years? It could, be, right? it, it, it could be a long, long time. We, mm. we, we, we don't have any real guidance. And obviously, it's a really complicated case. And as you are quite right, we have to wait. Right. But I think Initially, they just would... you know whammed in with a 15-point <laughs> penalty and then took it back and then might give them another nine points and I, this coming Monday, which I love. It's like snakes and ladder meets football. Yeah. You think, I think you're we there, can all agree. now you're behind. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can all agree that's a much more efficient way of doing it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just to come in a couple of Rory's points there, I think... He's right, but also he'd mentioned PSG, and I think PSG show that you can have similar resources and it not work. I think this is very much a, a Pep Guardiola work of art, if you like. And um, the thing about players as well, I mean, Guardiola, you're right, he doesn't lose players unless he wants to, but he's also quite been quite lucky slash clever with that because if you look at someone like Bernardo Silva, who was incredible last night, he's been close to leaving City quite a few times. Um, obviously Cancelo was brilliant last year and was, was shoved out the door in, in January so it's almost like Guardiola does know kind of when to almost brinksmanship push players out and then perhaps keep them when he was not going to or, or persuade them to stay so yeah I think a, a lot of it is down to the, the resources City have but I think Guardiola is, is the main thing you take him away from this, this squad you know John Stones playing in central midfield from Barnsley via Everton. That's that's not a Galactico, is it? The curious thing about that is that it, Guardiola obviously is the main draw, but there is this we- slightly weird position that you certainly get from from some Man City fans, and I think to an extent from the club itself now, which is that this is actually all to do with Guardiola. That's the that's the the logic is that when Guardiola leaves. This it won't fall apart, but that's that's the edge gone, and Man City will just be another of the big six. It'll be you know same chance as everybody else, which is kind of the converse of what of what every other club said in their period of dominance. I don't remember you know Man United fans saying, well you know of course, of course when Fergie goes it will all fall apart. There Let's was a go sense to a Man that... United fan, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's there's a weird institutional exceptionalism that Manchester City have almost avoided. I think a really good example of this is the fact that they're, you know, they're the best football team in Europe, mm. but they boo the Champions League anthem, right? This is the trophy they most want to win, but they boo the anthem desperately because they, and please read everything, and like they being coded as being said by a Manchester United fan, they, me from the outside, uh-huh. looking across the city, they view themselves as this great disruptor, whereas actually what they've done is perfected the old money Methods, right? They've perfected. Okay, Manchester United have spent more money. Other football clubs have spent more money because Manchester City have created a, a leading infrastructure where you don't have to spend too much money now anymore, right? They don't have to use the um, what is known as the stupidity tax or the last minute tax that afflicts a number of big clubs. But, you know, when Bayern Munich were the best football team in Europe, Bayern Munich were announcing summer transfer deals in January. Now Manchester City has now got to the point where you know you knew Haaland was coming. And you know what the next big thing is coming. And yeah, okay, maybe Pep Guardiola isn't going to get the biggest, shiniest object, but you know what, whatever happens or whatever comes in is going to be exceptional. This City team brought on Riyad Mahrez, Phil Foden, and Julian Alvarez. Alvarez? And yeah. Julian Alvarez, when you're 3-0 up against Real Madrid. You know, as the joke goes, this is the sort of greed you read about in the Bible. This is a ridiculous footballing project. Two words for you from all Man City fans, I think, Carl. I mean... <laughs> I mean, City have used the fewest players of any Premier League team this year. They they have Boom. they don't have two great teams. They've got the best eighteen players as a combination in the world. I mean, and yes, the asterisks and all that stuff. But speaking as someone who's a fan of a lower league team, I would say that 
from from that point of view, you know, City, yes, they they've used methods, you know, to to sort of fast forward themselves from a, a mid ranking Premier League team to to a big club, but from you know, if you go back to the 1980s, the decision to stop sharing gate receipts with, with away teams, which essentially set in motion everything that, that led to the Premier League, etc. You know, we're, it's a bit like a l- real life in a way that, you know, decisions made in the early 80s are now reaching a kind of dark apotheosis in the 2020s. And like, it, it, you know, I, I find it quite difficult seeing fans sometimes of... of big Premier League teams right. complaining about City because if you're so going to complain about City you've got to look at your own clubs right? yeah exactly so mm. you know the, the rest of the league mm. the lower leagues has been impacted not just by Manchester City or Chelsea but also Manchester United and Liverpool and Arsenal and everyone so it's like right. not not everyone is coming approaching this from the same standpoint I'm delighted for City fans and this magnificent performance I do find it hard to get an emotional foothold in anything about their success because of you know the, the, the context and the riches but what we did see yesterday was quite, was quite extraordinary to, to witness so the, the silver performance Julian Alvarez as you say coming on and that magnificent move for the, the fourth goal we should also just, just so it doesn't get lost that Thibaut Courtois save mm. when it was mm. What was it? One nil at that point. Two, one nil. Was that? Was that nil? There was a series of saves. The nil nil was the fingertip one. That would have dislocated every every single person in this chat. Fingers would have (laughs) shattered if that had happened to us. (laughs) Luckily, it didn't. Luckily, it didn't. Mm. I mean, we could go back and forth on City for for a while. I guess. Anybody want to add anything else about about what we witnessed Wednesday night and beyond? I think it it puts Real Madrid in a really interesting place. This was a defeat where their standout veterans, you know, Karim Benzema, as we said, may have made that run three years ago, but has not looked the player he was when he when he was on his way to win that Ballon d'Or. Uh, Luka Modric looked every bit of his age, and Tony Cruz couldn't quite get back to to help Camavinga. Camavinga in this, you know, fun-ish experimental role at left back. You know, we, we keep talking about how Real Madrid seemed to be initiating their take you know their replacement plan for Luca and Tony Jude Bellingham Jude might be coming into Real Madrid soon this this really might shake up their summer activity I'm not going to be surprised if Florentino Perez starts making some very loud noises towards Kylian Mbappe this summer now because that was a really chastening defeat I think the, the thing with Mbappe is that, that that's the one position Real don't need to think about does you drop Vinicius like he's the obvious mm-hmm. start and Mbappe wants to play through the centre which is the, the complication but then I think Real Madrid would quite like Erling Haaland to play through the centre for them in a couple of years and you probably can't have both so they are I agree completely with Carl that they're, they're, they're now in an interesting position you wonder whether spending 130 120 130 million on Jude Bellingham is the best use of their resources now that there would maybe be a couple of other positions where they they might have to look that was the first time last night that Modric has really looked his age I think he, he mm-hmm. looked like the game was beyond he couldn't get to grips with him the player I felt most sorry for was Federico Valverde who's got a slightly a slightly hangdog face anyway but there were times when Valverde looked genuinely confused as to how there could be another Manchester City player near him when he'd already confronted four of them and he was, <laughs> he'd sort of turn around and think hang on you were over there a minute ago I thought I dealt with you but I haven't and you're back and then you've got a friend and he, he just looked really kind of existentially upset by the whole experience they 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 will have to think carefully both about the next managers obviously there's this doubt about Ancelotti and whether he'll go to Brazil but yeah about where they spend their money in the summer does it it does look like 
and it, Ancelotti was asked about this last night, whether Real Madrid have the squad to to confront a Manchester City when they play like that. And Ancelotti's answer was what you'd expect. It was, will we, will we beat them last year? They're not that different. They were just better than us on the night. It didn't feel like that. That felt like City finding a gear that Real Madrid don't have. Mm. I mean, the only thing I would say on that as well, to back is, I think people, it's result confirmation bias, but Liverpool mm. almost did that to, to Real Madrid in the final last year. You know, they mm. had 24 shots to... Again, to it was score. Courtois who was... But Courtois that night was was even better. I think... You could argue Courtois kind of papered over the cracks a little bit. Flip reverse it, Duncan. Courtois, that cross shot goes in off the underside of the crossbar, the cross bar, if you will. And <laughs> we're looking at an entirely different totally football show in another dimension far, far away. Uh, Inter, can you, can you envisage any dimension where they are not so utterly spanked come come the, the what is it the 10th of, of June I, I didn't see anything last night that suggested that Manchester City can cope with 34 year old Henrik Mkhitaryan <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's nice they're going to be facing Edin Dzeko what 11 years mm. after he yeah. was a fundamental yeah. part of the the start of this era I guess I think there's there's more than one football fan from more than one football club that is uh, raising their hands up in prayer and beginning some fasting so Romelu Lukaku can can make good on the things Romelu Lukaku says about his talent. Uh, he's he's hitting form, Carl. He's he's been I think is it five goals in the last four and brilliant goals as well, like proper Lukaku goals, not just you know charitable penalties and stuff. Not always a starting option, but no. This is the desperation clutching at straws thing that mm. Manchester City make you do. I think what the moment where things looked ominous for City in this Champions League run was what they did to Bayern Munich, where I've seen Bayern Munich been beaten before. I've never seen them been made to look small. And it was the first really big moment where you, you, I grasped how tall this Manchester City team can be, particularly in defence. And that is the, I think that's the newest wrinkle to this Pep Guardiola side team evolution. They've been technically dominant. They've been very, very quick. They've never been this large before. Mm. And that sounds silly. No, but... This is a very large Manchester City team. And yet largeness is an underrated quality in football. I, I think that's absolutely true. Like there is a massive advantage to being large. And then you let the little man score the header in the semi final. Yeah. Wow. So. A dinked header, no less. Yeah. The one the, the one thing or the two things that that I would just say give into just the, the slightest sliver of hope is one is they are, as a team, kind of the very definition of grizzle. Like there's a lot of grizzle a to Cherby. A Cherby, Brozovic. Jacko, I mean Lautaro's kind of a strapper. Unlike Real, they won't try and come out and play. No, Inter will sit there for as long as they can and try and niddly foul Manchester City. That's what Inter will do, and mm. they will hope that Lautaro or Jacko can produce something from a set piece. And the other thing, and I, I don't know enough about tactics to know whether this is true. Does facing two actual strikers complicate Guardiola's roving centre back thing? Yeah. Yes. Upward inflection question mark. Because the reason why this this back three of centre backs plus John Stones who pushes up can work is because you've got you know typically they're playing against two inverted wingers and a striker so that where previously you have one number nine who's trying to occupy two centre backs then it's three centre backs you know it's man for man for man and then John Stones can do what he wants whereas if you put two there plus you have a wing back like Denzel Dumfries who is and Demarco. Yeah, mm. but in particular Dumfries, who's okay. bizarre in how he repeatedly attempts to get into the final third. Um, that could possibly change things. But th then again, Pep Guardiola is you know, smart enough to go, oh, they're playing 
two up top. Let's just go to a back four and make one of the four. Mm. I don't know. I mean, to give in to their credit, and uh, Tuesday, in a largely forgettable game, they beat Milan 1-0. That's their fourth straight victory over their neighbours. Uh, four games in which Milan haven't been able to score a single goal. And that's actually been a, a bit of a consonant of Inter's successes because, as you'll have seen, Andre Onana, eight clean sheets in 12 Champions League games this season. So I think only three teams have been able to score against them. So, you know. And and as you say, Inter won't have any pressure to play. They will just be, right, we're going to stand here and you don't have to break us down. And I, I think there's an element of physicality about how they play that, like last night, Ruben Diaz looked completely unmoved by Benzema and Vinicius and Rodrigo. Jacko and then Lukaku is a very different type of physical challenge. You know, it, Carl's quite right. City are big, but they won't face many strikers who are as good from set pieces or in the air as Jacko, even at 37. And I, I think that might potentially mm. be a route of vague danger. You are clutching at straws to an extent. I mean, I'm just um, thinking how badly this conversation is going to end and the fact that we yeah. must not in any way replay it after... We're saying this, and we're talking about large strikers. Who have Man City got up front? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm. I mean, we should also thank fate for setting up what promises to be a very tense FA Cup final. With mm. Manchester United mm. have their shot at TrebleProtection.org. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. June the third. June the third. All right. Well, before that. Man City have to seal this Premier League title thing. Let's get on to the domestic action next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners and whether there'll be a red card, then use BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. 
Premier League this weekend. Man City can be champions for a third straight season. If they beat Chelsea, that's Sunday 4 o'clock. They'll actually already be champions 24 hours before that if Arsenal lose their game on Saturday at Forest. Uh, Arsenal have actually lost their last two visits to City Ground, both in the uh, FA Cup, I think. Even a draw will make it all but definite that Man City are the winners because of their massive goal difference. Chelsea, any chance of them disrupting Pep's plans? They've already lost three times to Man City this season and are yet to score a goal against them. Hmm. Just leaving a space there in case anybody wants to... It's not looking good, Brev. It's not looking good. Right. I mean, Frank Lampard famously played for City against Chelsea, scored a goal mm. and looked more regretful than any human has ever looked. So I'm, I'm hoping for some more of those facial expressions, if nothing else. But, but yeah, I, I suspect City will become the fifth different club to win three in a row, which when you look at some of the other leagues across the world... The fact no English club has ever won more than three in a row, and it happens very rarely. Is that right? Never won more than mm. three in a yeah, row? Huddersfield did it. Arsenal did it back in the pre-war. Mm. Liverpool did it in the 80s. United did it twice under Ferguson. And mm. then I'm pretty sure this is about to happen again. So this will be five, five out of six for City. I think Liverpool in 84 were the last team to have won five out of six. So pretty, pretty dominant. The, the worst outcome is Arsenal drawing at Forest because you, you don't want them... Like it's not ideal to win the title without playing, mm. but at the same time, it would give that, that, that Chelsea game a kind of carnival atmosphere. It's, it'd be fine if Arsenal win at Forest and City have to go and beat Chelsea, which they will, to win the title. Again, carnival atmosphere. If that game is kind of, well, we, we kind of think City have already won it because Arsenal have drawn at Forest, but it's very much, this is very much an administrative exercise, mm-hmm. that would be inherently disappointing. Mm. All right, then. Let's talk about the other games coming up this weekend, then. Title, not the only thing that could be decided in this penultimate round. The bottom three could be two. Defeats for Leeds and Leicester would seal their fate if the two above them, Everton and Forest, get results. Let's see, Leeds, who are a point behind Everton and thus safety, are at West Ham. Leicester, who are two points from safety and were roundly beaten Monday by Liverpool, will be taking on Newcastle at St James' Park on Monday night. As for Everton, they're at Wolves and Forest, as mentioned, host Arsenal. Meanwhile, there's also a top four race to be settled. Newcastle and Man United, you'll recall, lie third and fourth, a point above Liverpool, who've played an extra game. Newcastle host Brighton this Thursday evening, and then they have Leicester on Monday. Man United are at Bournemouth and Liverpool play Villa. Also for you this weekend... There's Fulham Palace Saturday afternoon, Brighton against the already relegated Southampton and kicking the weekend's action off. It's Spurs-Brentford, which will not feature Ivan Tony, who begins an eight-month ban. An eight-month ban. Hmm. A lot of things, really, to unpack in this eight... I mean, it was a surprise how, how, how big the ban was, I think, first of all, no? Somewhat. That's the right word for it, yeah. The difficulty with the Ivan Tony case is the numbers being quoted, both in terms of how many betting charges Ivan Tony's been charged with, uh, and the punishment is that they are so large that it almost renders your brain into absurdity. Eight months seems, you know, in air quotes, too much, depending on what he's done, but also for Ivan Tony to be found to have judged to be in 232 plus. Betting counts means that there's no real easy to grasp comparison figure. Perhaps Kieran Trippier or perhaps 
uh, Rio Fernand when he missed the drug test. Right. So we always knew this, the number would be large. And we always knew the number would sound faintly ridiculous. And yet now it's arrived, it still feels a bit too faintly ridiculous. What we don't know yet, I, th- I think, is this right? Is the written motivation for the length of the ban, which I guess will be coming in the next few days, will it? Yeah, the, the written reasons I think will be interesting. I think Adam Crafton, the athletic resident superstar, uh, tweeted the other day to say when the band came out to say that if Tony's been better, and we don't know this, if he's been better using his privileged position within football to influence gambling, that is straight up. That's that's bad. That does you know there is a point at which the integrity of the game is called into question. If he hasn't, then there is a case to be made that the FA should probably be helping him rather than punishing him. If, if Ivan Tony is a gambling addict, then that is something that is to be taken seriously and deserves sympathy rather Particularly than... Particularly when you work in an sanction. industry that promotes this same uh, activity so relentlessly. Yeah, I, so this is, this is the, the, that's the overall, the broader context, isn't it? I, I don't know. I, so just, you know, to be open about this, I don't gamble. I think football should needs to divest itself of its of its relationship with gambling he said on a podcast sponsored by a betting company um i think that is a problem for football that reliance on gambling money i don't see why it's any different to tobacco or alcohol um in terms of it shouldn't need to be taking money from what they what they call them white collar firms that cover up asian gambling syndicates and what have you there's a lot of dirty money from gambling that, that football does not seem to have any real interest in in tracing back to its source. It's just happy to take it all in. That said, gambling's not illegal, and I, I don't know if it's necessarily an outright hypocrisy to say we are advertising gambling, but the people involved in this sporting activity should not gamble on it. I think that that is an mm. understandable position to say players shouldn't gamble because it, it brings with it a risk to the integrity of the sport. Baseball in, in the States has had a century-long ban on anyone involved with baseball gambling. And so nobody in baseball gambles. There's, it's just like, no, this isn't a thing. Like, you can't do that. And I think that football having that position makes sense. The issue of how reliant football is on gambling money is an important one. But to me, it feels slightly separate. Yes. It, I think this is a case of many things are true at once. Yeah. Football's relationship with the betting industry absolutely needs to be examined and and. I agree with Rory that there should be attempts to divest. Ivan Tony knows the rules mm-hmm. and he knows that his position means he should not be allowed to bet. And um, much like Rory, I, I don't gamble. I, I think even my quasi-adjacent relationship as a journalist, I'm like, meh, probably not. Oh, mine's not a moral thing, Carl. I'm just, oh. I, I, I just don't like the, the idea of being proven wrong. If I gamble... <laughs> And lose loads of money, then it's very much like, well, what do you know about football? So why would I open myself up to like actual proof that I have no idea what I'm talking about? That right. would be a ridiculous Fair. thing to do. I personally keep running into a wall when I'm when I'm looking at this Ivan Tony situation. That I, I I keep stumbling over this, which is just if Ivan Tony had done this once or twice, mm. I think eight months would be too large. But when I read 232, my brain goes, my brother, please. Could you not have taken pause? To which, as Adam Crafton has tweeted, as Colin Miller has also tweeted, this genuinely could, you know, I, I should be affording more sympathy to this person. And, and I think the situation has become very, very muddled in that we've got someone who is not a, uh, in air quotes, perfect victim or a, a clean victim. You know, this is a, this is a sustained case mm. of rule breaking in a very, very grey area in something that probably shouldn't be grey. Right. I mean, in a pretty sensitive area. But I guess we need to look at what the 
as you say, the written reasoning for the length of the ban. Um, it's a huge blow, I would guess, to Brentford, although timing-wise, they're sorted for this season. It's not... I mean, if it was to happen, it, it wasn't the worst time for it to happen, but what do they do at this point, Brentford? I had a little talk with Jay Harris, who covers Brentford for The Athletic, and um, he says the boring answer of Brentford have already got their Tony replacement in Kevin Shade. Shada? Shada, yeah. I, pr- I think it's nicer <laughs> if he's called Kevin Shade. That's a better name. <laughs> yeah. Let's stick with that. Right. Okay, okay. So, that, you know, they, they have a replacement plan sorted to a degree, and I think Brian and Buemo should be a more than willing deputy between now and the end of the season. Mm. All right. Let's talk about then that relegation run-in. That sounds very exciting. Will Forest or Everton drop points? And will the two teams below them take advantage if they do? A reminder, Forest home to Arsenal. Everton at Wolves. Leeds at West Ham. Another of Big Sam's former sides. And Leicester away at Newcastle. What do you think, anyone? A Leicester done. Did you see Monday night? All the Leicester fans piling out the stadium after Trent's magnificent free kick. Yeah, it did feel damning, although perhaps not as damning as conceding five goals to a Fulham team with nothing to play for. Um, Leicester were actually quite good for the first 20 minutes. They looked kind of really up for it. And then Liverpool got, they scored the two goals in quick succession. The second one of which I'm pretty sure was offside. But anyway, uh, and Leicester just seemed to sort of slump after that. But then if I was looking for reasons to be positive as a Leicester fan, I'd say that, that they do have plenty of talented players they they have players who really should not want to be relegated the the question mark I guess has to be over the commitment you know you've got I think five out of contract at the end of the season they'll be pretty sure they're not playing in the championship is there a huge amount of interest in in their minds about whether Leicester City play in the championship I don't know that might be the issue mm. tough games for them though away to uh, Newcastle and then home to West Ham West Ham this weekend who hosts another of the teams down there leads in what could be Declan Rice's last home game as a West Ham player. I said, could it? I mean, that's that's pretty much taken as red now. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, I'd be surprised if he was playing for West Ham United next season. He can say this quite a lot of times, but Sam Allardyce against one of his former clubs. Um, but he's got a really weirdly bad record against uh, against David Moyes. He's lost his last eight games against David really? Moyes. So in the battle of the, the big beasts... Mm. Um, Moyes comes out on top in, in this one but yeah I think this is um, I, Le- Leeds have looked okay under Allardyce so they've got West Ham away and Tottenham at home I think you could you could see them getting two, three, four points from there so I think Leeds are probably I'd give them more of a chance than Leicester I think of, of getting out of the you're, three You're predicting Leeds to break out of the top oh, out of the bottom three and who's going to be slipping back in for you Duncan? I think Everton might slip in this weekend Really? Um, but then they've got Bournemouth at home on the last day and mm. Everton have got quite a, a history of turning it round on the last day of the season at home to stay up. Um, a very famous mid-90s example. It's 2-2. Barry Horn, I think. A humdinger, maybe in the nick of time. Barry Horn and his pump. Uh, so... I think that will be a pretty massive game on the on the final day. I think Forest I feel I don't know, I just got a feeling Forest might think they're safe and then they they get drawn Ooh. in at the last minute. That's wow. my hunch. Just when you think you're out. I hear you. 
Forest's games are probably the least appealing. I mean, West Ham are safe and may well, we don't know, obviously, have a Europa Conference League final mm. to think about. So, you know, it, it, certainly Leicester at home on the final day should be able to beat West Ham. So if they can get anything at Newcastle, which is very unlikely, they might stand a chance. Leeds will think they can go to West Ham, who'll be obviously coming back from the, the Altmar game with other things on their mind, potentially. Leeds will see that as a game that is winnable, I think. Everton having Bournemouth at home on the last day, as Duncan says, is is that's kind of your ideal fixture. No disrespect to Bournemouth. Um, that's what they. It feels like that's what they should be called. No disrespect to Bournemouth. <laughs> better name than AFC Bournemouth. Um, Forest have Arsenal at home, and obviously Arsenal, you'd think, will want to end the season on a high. They are setting in the table. They have been top of the Premier League for three hundred days. That's not an ideal opponent. But then they've got Palace. Two hundred forty-eight. Which you know, just as a slight parenthesis, is that the longest that a team has been top of the table without actually winning the title, Duncan? Uh, yeah, not just in the Premier League era, but in the Engl- English top flight history. So, so going wow. back how many years? What's well, it to eighteen eighty-eight? That's got a sting. Anyway, yeah, back the, to your point, 18, Rory. 1888 is such an artificial football didn't begin to in draw 1888. in football history. We football didn't start in 1888. There would have been a medieval striker as good as Haaland, <laughs> but the so-called Victorians, uh, they're what, obsessed with their league table. What about, what about Wanderers and Corinthians and Royal Artillery, or whatever mm. they're called? Um, anyway, <laughs> Palace away should be a, a good sort of fixture, but there is a curiosity about Nottingham Forest that I'm not sure I have heard mentioned anywhere else. The city ground pitch is tiny. Forest find it hard to play away from home because the way they play is designed to work on the city ground pitch, which is really small compared to most other pitches. How much so smaller, when they Rory? I think I don't know the exact figures. Hmm. Uh, several yards, both in terms of... I think the, the length is borderline normal, but the width is much less Narrow. wide, hmm. much narrower, much more slender. Hmm. And that that's part of the I think that's part of the reason why Forest have found it hard to play away from home. So the fact they have to go to Palace, who mid table, nothing to play for, they should be kind of ideal opponents for a relegation threatened team. What's the, the next day. narrowest pitch in in the Premier League? Couldn't tell you. Well, that is a, it. Sounds funny. Yeah. And you look at some American sports where the dimensions are locked in. They're locked in. Hmm. But it is surely a, not in baseball. Diamonds. No, there is various, but like NFL and, yeah. and NBA, you, okay, it is what it is. Right. Football has this weird relationship with space right. um, where clubs can not only, you know, have different size pitches, but they can do it week to week. There, were, there was a great period where Stoke played narrow in the Premier League, but mm. they were in the UEFA Cup and there were different minimum regulations there. So they had to widen the pitch for UEFA Cup games. So you had right. this weird rugby style line inside the line. Um, yeah, it's baffling, was, really. I do remember this being a problem or muted as a problem when Tottenham Hotspur went to Wembley Stadium mm. yep. um, and the yeah the pitch dimensions of Wembley were a lot larger than that of White Hart Lane uh, so it, it took them a while to figure it out especially when they were playing Champions League games as well it, do, it does feel a bit like we maybe should have a standard pitch size mm. we have different sized players Rory why should that's the pitch true. be any different <laughs> maybe we'll, why not do it with I the mean, goals I think historically Loftus Road <laughs> got the smallest one massive goal no, well, the, why not the goal size has been the same since the 19th century, and people have got bigger. So that is a, it's true. a reasonable. Right. Wasn't that? Didn't they but make that ahead of the 94 World Cup? Set Blatter did 100. Yeah. percent mm. Yeah, visionary. Now, uh, not sure, Rory, if we got your take on who you think might drop points or whether the teams below might take advantage this weekend. Do you see I would any- agree with with Duncan that Leeds maybe have a better chance than Leicester. Mm. But everything, the best thing about this time of the season, everything's interlinked. So if Newcastle beat Brighton tonight, 
then it's possible that maybe you know they might take their foot off the pedal a little bit. They might assume that Leicester are, are easy prey, and that might mean Leicester get something at St James's Park. You know, it's everything's trying to connect it. So I th- I would worry about Leicester and possibly Forest. They might be the two. I thought you were going to say Forest were going to have a narrow escape, Rory. Nice, nice. But I should have done because if I was of the clever dimensions and funnier. Of the pit. I would have yeah. done that right yeah. with you now. Yeah. Okay. All right, very shortly, we'll talk about the interconnected business that is the top four race, kind of. And uh, still to come, whew, it's called a final turn in this season's InterTotally Cup, and it's an absolute uh, stormer. Stay tuned. We're back after this. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Sheaf lifting that ball forward. Stefan is away from his goal and this is a chance for Jokerez. And now it's Harmer. Gus Harmer scores! Coventry City make their move! Ooh, championship playoff final is set in stone. It will be Luton against Coventry at Webley and that's on the 27th. Saturday, 27th of May. Again, here's Colin Miller pointing out that Coventry City against Luton Town was a fixture in the fourth tier just five seasons ago. One of these two teams will be in the Premier League next season. Two absolutely incredible stories. That's how leagues work. But, um, I mean, it's... it's Also, yeah. big questions over... Yeah. Like, Accrington Stanley finished top in League 2 that season. You've got to question what they've been doing since. Well, Wickham went up with, <laughs> with the, as well that season. It was Accrington, Wickham, Luton and Coventry. So, I'm... Right. Um, I'm a bit annoyed, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, I, I, <laughs> as a nostalgia fest, right. Luton or Coventry back in the top flight. I mean, Coventry have been stuck on 99 Premier League wins since they went down in 2001. Okay. Um, many have wondered in the interregnum, would they ever reach three figures? And they might do. Well, if they can get past Luton, they were. And it is remarkable. Start of February, they were 15th in the championship. And now here they are, 90 minutes away from the Premier League. Luton have never been in the Premier League. Although or they were founder members of, or creators. They're like a Pete Best of the Premier League. Oh, nice, yeah. All right. What Beatle-era uh, musician would you compare Nathan Jones to, the man who potentially walked out on, on Luton for the Premier League, only to perhaps watch them sail past him into said well, division? I'd, I'd certainly like to spend a day in the life of, of Nathan Jones. But um, that Luton... Uh, Sunderland semi-final on Tuesday. Right. I think it felt to me. I I must admit I watched that over the over the Champions League semi. Uh, it felt very sort of early nineties on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, that was the right. Call. It was like should I go Ensley League uh, on ITV or the Serie A on Channel Four? Oh, um, yeah. I used to be on Channel Four, remember? Um, and <laughs> yeah, the Ensley won out, and it was a very good game. Okay, very good game. Excellent. So, is your money on? It's really hard to, to call. borrow a, a gambling motif. It's really both can play quite direct. I think it it, it could easily be a, a low scoring penalty shootout, uh, denouement sort of game. But mm. I mean, I think fans of of teams of fans of variation in the Premier League should be pleased. I think um, to see one of these teams return. It's funny how there was all that kind of romance about Forest coming back, but literally nobody's like, "Oh, great, Coventry deserve a shot." Mm. <laughs> Like Coventry were a fixture of the top flight for, yeah. for decades. Yeah. yeah, but... Where next for Coventry City, as a great man once said. Who said that, Duncan? Uh, Richard Keyes. 
Did he? What I mean, was I the context of that? Well, the we the night that Big Ron got upset. Oh, it was the Shiny Machines. That was yeah. That was where next for Coventry yeah, City. When Big Ron and why has that become part of your kind of go-to footballing? Well, it's, it's one of the most iconic moments in the league's history. So where now for Coventry D- City? Yeah. Dunton famously bases a lot of his personality on Richard Keyes. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> what um, What would be the one football phrase you'd like to go to, Carl? Oh. That's a very good question. Is it? I'm uh, not sure it is, but I probably I'll probably just use football bloody hell. Well, yeah, you come in. It so. sums it up, doesn't it? Uh, or, sums it or up. indeed, uh, apparently, I think it was was it Beckham? Jordi Cruyff saying a bag of money can't win a game of football is quite fun. Yeah, um, I've been using that a lot more recently. I'm sure, uh, and, and many, many, many Louis Van Gaal quotes because I think you know the moral arc of football is long, but eventually bends towards Louis Van Gaal being correct. Either him or Wenger oh. being correct. Wenger saying everyone thinks they have the prettiest wife at home is one of those footballing phrases that is very good to use in non-footballing contexts as well. Right. Ian Holloway had some quotes on a similar vein, but let's... You're sorry. right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Rory, you're thinking hard. That's what that face yeah, is. Yeah, I'm, I'm going for either Johan Cruyff Croy saying that it, at 4-0 at it's better to hit the bar than straw, but to the crowd go, ooh, which I think is that a, is a, great, a universal right. truth. Yeah. Um, or uh, now, who was it? Alan Pardew calling Manuel Pellegrini, two yes. years his senior, an old fuck. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> it's a state of mind, though, isn't it? Age, I like to think. All right, let's is. talk about bags of money trying to win things at Man United, who are currently in the top four. Uh, Newcastle level on points with them, but head on goal difference, and Liverpool only a point behind. But of course, yes. Klopp's side have won, uh, played a game more. In this case, it was last Monday's resounding win away at the King Power. This weekend, Bournemouth hosts Man United, Liverpool host Aston Villa, and Newcastle, after playing Brighton, uh, then get Leicester. But I guess perhaps the more newsworthy thing is what's happening with that takeover business, eh, Carl? What is happening with that takeover business? Indeed, this was something that was meant to be wrapped up by Q1. 2023 and this mm. be dragging on and on and it appears that you know Everton might gizump United in getting their takeover done quicker which is a real Manchester United take ages to do something that a mid-table or lower table Premier League club can do in weeks from what we know there's been a third fine there's been a, another final bid from Sheikh Yassim which really feels like when you've got you're an art director or you're writing drafts of a script and you're going final V1 final no this is the actual <laughs> final one no this is the Final, final version, whatever. Uh, so you have that. That possibly is more money or, or better valuation of the club than Sir Jim Radcliffe. It is all very confusing. With your United fan bobbly hat on, wh- who do you want at the two of them? Oh, neither with my bobbly hat on. You want I'm the Glazers not. to stay? Oh, funny. That's your uh, choice. <laughs> Michael that Knight. is unfortunately the choices left. I, mm. I, I prefer to have a better world, but okay. unfortunately I have to live in this one. So which would give you least pain for the start of next season? Have the Glazers still there to be a Qatari club or Sir Jim Ratcliffe? They're all different kinds of pain, really. You've got one gentleman who no one can ascertain how old he is or has seen more than three photographs of him. You've mm. got one gentleman who, I mean, Duncan knows more about the history of cycling at Ineos than me, but I'm going to pull a face and go, mm, really? Um, and you've got the who... Just 
on that point, mm. Ineos took over Team Sky, as it mm. was, which was a, a very successful team. Mm. And they've they've changed the age profile of the team. They've you know got brought in a lot of younger riders, but they've not had the success that they did beforehand. All right. Unlike at Nice, where they came in and spent a lot of money, and oh yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And then you have the Glazers, who are businessmen who, by and large, aren't very good at business. If your business is draining the lifeblood out of a cherished <laughs> social institution, yeah. I'm sure they are. Rory? I was going to say, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily use the same parallel as, as Charles for the Man United um, sale process. It feels less like, like a, a, a strip writer going through drafts and, and more like the DFS sale. And <laughs> it, it appears to like it's always ending this Friday. It's like the, the way Rain have done it is clearly borrowed from their Chelsea experience, but they've forgotten that the reason that they could, it worked with Chelsea was just there was a hard deadline as Roman Abramovich was about to be sanctioned and the club, or had been sanctioned and the club was under government control. Sheikh Jassim or whoever doesn't necessarily, like he, does, he knows it's not really a final deadline. He knows that he could come, up, come back on Monday with more money. That, the, the way Reign have run it has been really strange. I can understand why United fans are waving Tatari flags at Wembley because they want the money. And it's really interesting that as soon as this happens, the briefings that are given to journalists who are quite often just producing the PR of bidding teams who are choosing sides in this thing that is nothing to do with them. There is always a part that, that is, we'll set money aside for players. We'll set money aside for players. The fact that that works at Man United, who've spent so much money on players anyway, is astonishing. Yes, there are two or three times where, I mean, there are two or three times where you're seeing information go back and forth and you're going, I understand I have buttons. Could you not press them so aggressively? Mm. My goodness. Um, I think I believe one of the bits, one of the things mentioned by Sheikh Jassim was to bring in board more former United pros into the to the setup. Nice, which Henningberg, yeah, Jesper Blomqvist, yeah, get them all in. Ronnie Johnson, it, it, yeah, it is Steve it, Bruce, it, it, yeah, hey, hey Premier League winner, Neil uh, Baron Ferguson. <laughs> it, it does feel like aggressive pandering, mm. yeah, and. I, if I keep pausing and stumbling over my words here, it's because I can't. I still find it hard to articulate how I feel about this very bizarre situation with very, very large numbers from a, a bunch of individuals that are beyond how I, I, I like react with the world. Billionaires are, but this billionaires' is... decision making is very different to the decision making of civilians like us. Right, and I think what's mm. very, very what I recommend anyone. Uh, to do when they're going to all these owners of who owns this football club or who owns this football club is once this person you find out this person's a billionaire mm. it's very very useful to figure out how they made their money because ah. it then factors into how they essentially run your football team so Todd Bowley was a, was a disruptor he was a tech disruptor very very aggressive investments and lo and behold he comes over to Chelsea he's trying to disrupt things he's giving really long contracts and he's trying to find loopholes uh, some Jim Ratcliffe petrochemicals uh, and that method of how well, how you know his version of kind of aggressive expansion, but not really. Um, seems to be carrying on to Nice and Ineos or whatever. The Glazers earn their money via real estate uh, in uh, commercial buildings. They buy shopping malls and they just sit there and pick up residual rents. And lo and behold, you've got this dividend situation with Manchester United. So they're all odd. And I, I don't think you can think any of any of these people as being a, a good choice or less painful because they all have their bizarre quirks and idiosyncrasies that only really appear once you are someone that has... A billion plus dollars, mm. euros, however you want to phrase it. All right. Well, stand by to find out which of them walks away uh, with Man United, one of the shiniest prizes 
in the game. Just to return briefly before we get into the totally quarter two of the weekend, a couple of other games. I mentioned Liverpool, Aston Villa in passing. It will be the last home match for James Milner, Naby Keita, Axlade Oxlade Cha- Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. <laughs> and the one that seems to be provoking the most kind of most work for tear ducts uh, in the Merseyside area, Roberto Firmino. Ooh, wow. That's going to be big, isn't it? It's going to be a lot of... Emotional. A lot of emotion, I think. It, do you think, and just, you know, as I say, quite briefly, Spurs taking on Brentford and Fulham Crystal Palace also this weekend, but Spurs-Brentford, could that be Harry Kane's last home game as a Spurs player? Potentially. Ooh, getting nods. The, the situation seems to be that there are three clubs, major clubs in the market for a striker this summer, Manchester United, Chelsea, Bayern Munich. There are two premium strikers that they all think are kind of first choice, and that's Victor Osserman and, and Harry Kane. And then you kind of have Randall Kolomowani as the third choice, the slightly the slightly more risky option. Is Dusan um, Vlahovic in that mix at all? Does Dusan Vlahovic look too much like a World War II smuggler to be considered an elite <laughs> footballer? The, I would say yes. Um, no, I don't. I don't. You, you'll probably know more about the Juve situation than me. I would have assumed that Juve wouldn't want to sell him, but I guess it would depend on I the post deduction. I think, yeah, uh, if they're out of the Champions League, and even if they aren't, I think that they, given his return for them on the investment they mm. made when they paid an enormous sum, I think 70, north of 70 million, was it? For a player who looked absolutely astonishing and still shows flashes of that for Juve. But he's a, but sorry, I've, I've taken us off the, the thing. We were talking about Harry Kane. Yeah, so I think the I think what will happen is you will see a, a a kind of waiting cat and mouse type thing, where they try and work out. They all think they can negotiate with Aurelio De Laurentiis. I would pay money to watch that process, particularly <laughs> if it's Bowley. I would love to see Todd Bowley <laughs> oh try and negotiate goodness. with Aurelio De Laurentiis. Um, they all think Osman's overpriced. He is, but he's also extremely good. Kane, I think, is kind of because of his age rather than because of his talent, is kind of the backup semi-backup option to Osimhen. So it, it will be a case of who bites first on Osimhen. And then that might mean that Harry Kane, it kind of, Harry Kane's future kind of is then brought into the, into, the, into the light. But I think there is a strong case to be made that this might be Kane's last home game, yeah. Crikey. All right. Well, we'll be reviewing all the action on Monday in the Totally Football Show. But today's show is not done by a long chalk because next up we've got some quarterfinal action for you. Quarterfinal action featuring one of today's panel. It's time for the Intertotally Cup with proceeds going to Prostate Cancer UK. To find out more about Prostate Cancer UK's work in football, join Prostate FC, the biggest team in football taking on the most common cancer in men. Save lives from the pitch, the sofa and the stands. Visit prostatecancerukorg prostatefc. All right, it's the Intertotally Cup. Monday show brought a dramatic start to the quarterfinals when Multitasking's producer Charlie stepped into the studio through the fourth wall and kicked out defending champion Daniel Story. Boom. Story out of the competition. Today, we'll be finding out who'll be meeting the uh, knob-twiddling, many-hat-sporting producer in his semi-final. Let's meet the contestants. First, he may be the New York Times' soccer correspondent, but his quizzing powers have certainly left a lot to be desired until now. Taking time out from chuckling with chappers Chris Sutton and Mika Hyde, it is Mr. Monday Night, Rory Smith. So 
Rory, it's you. It's me. That felt like a slightly unnecessary dig. Uh, yeah, that, I don't know what that means. But I do, yeah. I do regard myself as, a, as, a, as an outsider. That's okay. fine. I mean, I'm, I'm expecting nothing from this, this whole escapade. You've never been beyond the quarterfinals before, have you? I don't think I've ever been in the quarterfinals. Have before. you not been in the quarterfinals? That would no. And I mean, tally. and for at least the last two years, I've I've specifically said to Charlie that I don't want to be in the competition. He just right. seems to ignore me. And but I, bet um, I would also say yeah. that Ch- that Charlie being involved is slightly unfair, given that Charlie's other job, one of his other hats, is basically the production and absorption of facts. That yeah. is what Charlie does. Mm-hmm. That's like excuses, a massive, but that's excuses. what your job is as well, Rory. But like more florid facts and sort of and theories right. and philosophies. That's yeah, if there I was a with. theory and philosophy round, then yeah. If there's a, put th- let's have an essay competition. Do you right. know what I mean? That'd be, that'd I hear be what fine. you're saying. That I hear what a, you're saying. That's a desperate cry. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it took um, it took a tiebreaker for you to get past Tim Spears yep. in round one. Let's find out who you're up against in this quarterfinal. his opponent a man who makes meticulous color-coded notes before every pod appearance taking the inter totally more seriously than teenagers take their a-levels yippee mother russia it's sasha Guriana. sasha Gurianov joining us here in the studio hi james so excited this shades are really steaming up i better take them off take um, them off take sasha them off. but uh yeah, yeah. Uh, pumped um got here in 10 minutes uh <laughs> Very, you know, blood throwing through my veins. Yeah. Had a training session this morning. Okay. So, yeah, Kinsa Bean. All right. And he's not joking, <laughs> listen. He really did do a training session. You were here on Monday, of course, in the studio as part of your podcasting uh, duties to witness multitasking producer Charlie put out the reigning champ. And uh, it's Charlie that awaits in the, in the, in the semi final. How do you feel? Uh, I feel a bit like any team facing Man City. Yeah, like Interdo. Mm. Yeah, it's a good parallel. You got past Nancy Froston in the first round, again, like Rory needing a tiebreaker. You have been to the semi-finals before when it was a tiebreaker that cost you a place in the final against Michael Cox. So you were that close. Bottled it that time. Bottled Did it. Did you? Yeah. I forgot um, Aldo Dusha uh, breaking uh, Dan Beckham's foot. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, forgot that. Okay. Well, whoever does go through today, along with a bout with producer Charlie in the semi will receive £10, which live score bet will place on the wager of your choice, the winnings uh, eventually of which will go to Prostate Cancer UK. Sasha, what would your bet be? Uh, my bet was Fulham Palace more than three and a half goals. Okay. And what about you, Rory? I don't understand what that means. So I've gone for <laughs> RB Leipzig to get a point or more at Bayern Munich this weekend. Ooh, that would be huge. That would be huge uh, for the... Charlie did then suggest that I should also have a bet on Borussia Dortmund to immediately lose at Augsburg. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I don't want to do that. Well, the producer Charlie uh, demonstrably knows his onions. Anyway, let's see if you know yours as we launch into question one. Sasha, you're up first. Sasha, Marcelo Bielsa has just become Uruguay manager. It's the third national team he's coached. Can you name the other two? So obviously Argentina. Um, and what was the other one? Someone completely random. Oh, and of course, sorry, I'm being stupid. Chile. Correct. Rory, your question one. With which Spanish club did Argentina manager Lionel Scaloni spend the majority of his playing career? Which Spanish side? Scaloni. Deportivo La Coruña. Is correct. All square. 
after the first round of questions. Oh, this is a good format. This mm. is better. Yeah, I should yeah. point out, listener, if you weren't listening on Monday, we've decided to flip-flop back and forth. But isn't it A, it's ABBA? So no, it's, it's just oh. whatever seems oh, most right. exciting at that moment. <laughs> okay. We'll go with you again, Sasha, with right. question two. Which famous managerial name is currently in charge of Mansfield Town in League Two? So, Sparky is at Brad... Ooh... I'm only thinking Mark Hughes, and it's probably wrong, but I'm going to say Mark Hughes. Is incorrect. It's Nigel Clough. Oh, really? I didn't. Actually, I should have deduced that, but okay. Yep. Rory, your second question. Which current League Two manager won the Premier League twice and the FA Cup four times as a player? Mark Hughes. It's correct, ironically <laughs> enough. <laughs> Some niece all over. Um. Mm. <laughs> Multiple niece questions in... In that uh, opening round clash with Nancy Froston. You made it through that, Sash. Can you make it through this? Rory, now a point ahead of you as we go into question three. Sasha, who am I? I won the European Cup stroke Champions League four times as a manager and a player with teams from Italy, Spain and my home country. I won the European Championship with my country, which is neither Italy nor Spain. My final game as a player was the 1995 Champions League final. Well, can I write all that down? Yeah. Uh, does anyone have a Okay, pen? so <laughs> he won the European Cup or Champions League. Four times. Four times with teams from Italy, Spain, and one other nation, which is the place of his birth. He also won the European Championship with that nation, which is, I repeat, neither Italy nor Spain. And his final match as a player was the 1995 Champions League final uh, uh, hang on, he, he won it as a manager, European Championship, or as a player? He won uh, the European Championship as a player. Player. Uh, so, final game 95, so it's 88 or 92. So, 92 was Denmark, so no, so it's one of the Dutch. Um, four times European Cup. Yeah, or Champions League. As a manager and a player. As a manager and a player. Why am I thinking Danny Blind? But it's obviously wrong. Um, have to hurry. Yeah, um, as a manager and a player. Uh, Duncan nodding like that. It's not going to help. No, I know, I know. This isn't really helping at all. So final game, 95 Champions League final. Yeah. Um, Who would that be, Sasha? It's Ajax against AC Milan. And the answer is? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Sasha, you're going to really kick yourself. I'm going to really, really kick myself here, yeah, I know. Um, th this is why I am desperately floundering here. Five seconds. Five seconds. Four, three. Danny Blind two. is incorrect. Do you want? Oh, to... Van Hal. No, no, Frank, no, no. Frank, Frank Reichard. It is, is it Frank Reichard. Yeah, that's why I was nodding. Yeah, Rory. Here comes your third question. Who am I? I won the World Cup as captain of my country. I was European Cup or Champions League runner-up twice, both in dramatic circumstances. I finished my playing career in America. And I have managed in Austria, Serbia, Hungary, Brazil, Israel, and Bulgaria. What's that add up to? Yeah, you might have to go through that again. Of so course. Won the, won the World Cup. He won the World as Cup as of captain of his country. In the European Cup or Champions League, he was runner-up twice, both in dramatic circumstances. His playing career ended in America. And as a manager, he has worked in Austria, Serbia, Hungary, Brazil, Israel, and Bulgaria. 
So, well, the easiest thing to, to go through is World Cup winning captains. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's not... Oh, hang on. So I'm going to say it has to be... Who does it have to be, Rory? Lothar Mateus. Is correct. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, I know. All right. So now we're on to question four. And Sasha, with one right answer so far, you need this. You need this. Thanks. Thanks. So this to stay in this quarterfinal. Question four. Peter Crouch scored Premier League goals for six different clubs. Here are five of them. Which club is missing? Spurs, Portsmouth, Southampton, Liverpool and Stoke. Which other club? QPR. I'm afraid it isn't. It's Aston Villa. Of course, QPR in the championship. Yeah. 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 You win, Rory Smith. You win. Rory Smith, do you want your other two questions? Might as well. Go on. Go on, then. Let's see if you can go into that semi-final with a perfect score. Question four for you. Emil Heskey scored Premier League goals for five different clubs. Again, here are uh, four of them. And which club is missing? Birmingham, Aston Villa, Liverpool and Leicester. Which other club in the Premier League did Emil Heskey score goals for? I mean, this, basically, I don't really know. Mm. Um, so, you know, you name Birmingham, Villa, Liverpool and Leicester. That's correct. Duncan knows he's nodding. Does Duncan know? Duncan does know. Emil Heskey. Um, no. Other um, Premier League clubs. I mean, given that there's nothing riding on this, I don't know why I'm taking it so seriously. <laughs> I still have one question uh, left. I have to say, Rory, there's as much riding on this as there was if you weren't going to, if, if you're placing Yeah, that's it. true. Uh, I feel like it's, a, it's like, it's not Derby, but it's like a Derby. Well, that's correct. Team. It's not Derby. Yeah, there you go. Well, I, I, my, my answer is not Derby. Not Derby. So within that, you know, admittedly vast circle in a Venn diagram. Is it West Ham? No, it's Wigan. Yeah. All right. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Your fifth yeah. question. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. have your fifth questions for both of uh -huh. yous. Uh, for Sasha, it would be from which club did Barcelona sign Luis Figo? Where did he come from? Sporting. Is correct. Mm -hmm. And for Rory, from which club did Juventus sign Zinedine Zidane? Bordeaux. Mm -hmm. Correct. So, Rory, you finish with four out of five, and Sasha, you get two. Dos. 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 All right. Rory, producer Charlie in the semi. Yeah, like Inter, I'm in a state, I appear to be in a state of grace where things just keep falling for me. So, yeah, yeah. just ride the wave. Just ride do it, wave. man. Just do it. Porstravenier, Mr. Smith, you're through to the semi-finals of the Inter Totally Cup. And if you think that Rory is quids in with his bet that Leipzig will get a draw at Bayern, it's priced at 19 to 5 on LiveScoreBet.com or the LiveScoreBet app. Odds are accurate at the time recording. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Sasha, thank you so much for coming in today just for that. And Pleasure, James. Always. I feel a bit bad for Sasha, actually, because it's a bit like Dragon's Den when they made them walk up steps before they pitched. <laughs> and I think he's had to rush into the office. Yeah. I think it's quite a hard mental shift to go right. from commuting or whatever to like, bang, trivia. So yeah. I'm not denigrating Roy's achievement, but I'm just saying. It sounds like you are. Sounds like you're saying bit. we need a way goal. We need an away a goal. Away goal. goals rule. Oh, yeah, oh in the office out of okay, in, in the studio mm. out of studio. Well, if your answers counted double, he's we would still be doing extra time yeah. now. Oh, oh yeah, it's some death. Oh well, oh, well. never mind, eh? It's always format changes for next season. Yes, exactly.
Brilliant. Sasha, lovely to see you. Listen, thank you for being with us. That brings us to the end of today's Totally Football Show. We're back on Monday. Thanks to Duncan and Carl and uh, Rory and producer Charlie. And have a great weekend and we'll see you Monday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.